television camera showed you running out to the field with your helmet off uh, in front of the team. Was that an homage to Tom Brady? A what? Homage. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is another Win Wednesday hot damn. What? It, you've got... No, I, I don't think this is real. Is this real? I mean, this is what happens when you have a 4-0, two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback oh, at the helm. <laughs> it's, it's, of course, selling time. We can't forget selling time. Oh, God. Uh, and I fundamentally disagree with the football god's decision to sacrifice a Carson Wentz ACL for a functional Jay Cutler. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. That's gross. Why do yeah. you have to even throw that in there? It's it's terrible because, uh, yeah, it's too bad because I was really, really looking forward to the Eagles just wrecking shop in the playoffs or at least attempting Yeah, I mean, to. the NFC playoffs in general like looked to be really interesting, right? And a big part of that, obviously, they've been, I think they're currently still the one seed, right, uh, in, in the NFC. And it just kind of sucks that now you have to watch uh, Nick Foles play a playoff game at home. Yeah, that's, that that's cool. definitely unfortunate. But uh, that, that opening that you heard, that was, I guess they'll let anyone in the press room now for just the 49ers. a horrendous question. I, I, I still don't know. I can't tell who that is. I almost, I, I think you might be right. It might be Grant Cohn, uh, but it could be someone else. I mean, I that's know. mostly wishful thinking. I have no yeah. idea. I don't um, pay attention enough to their voices. There are only a yeah. couple. I think like the mats, I can pretty much narrow I, I can in on, tell and the that's mats. about it. I can tell Eric Branch. If Cal Kami's in the room, I can tell Cal Kami. Um, but yeah, it that, that was, a, if you couldn't hear the question, it was, do you, you, that he ran out of the tunnel with his helmet off. And in front of the team. Leader. And Leader on, of men. And on, I blame the broadcast for this. This is what happens when you have crappy broadcast teams. They they did a montage of of Tom Brady running out of the tunnel in the same way without his helmet and an intense look on his face. And so they compared them on the TV broadcast, and that's what spurned the question. Jimmy Garoppolo responded, as you should, with what? What? They didn't teach him the word homage at Eastern Illinois, apparently. <laughs> but let's get to the game recap, the things we think on another win for the 49ers. And we're going to start, of course, with Mr. Handsome himself, Jimmy G, because frankly, he is a tide that lifts all boats. <laughs> the, the, the offense is not magically better in all facets now that Jimmy Garoppolo is playing quarterback. The Texans still had an absurd pressure rate because our offensive line at spots is pretty terrible. They pressured Jimmy Garoppolo on 47% of dropbacks. Clowney versus Beatles was basically a joke. I mean... It was not even funny how quick Clowney was getting pressure when he was lining up against Beatles. I mean, it was actually a little bit funny. I laughed a few times. I mean, I guess, yes. <laughs> but right before I cringed and said, no. Uh, Lincoln Tomlinson was also a problem. And, and now, even though we're going to get to Selleck in a bit, as a blocker, not all that great. And, the, I mean, so, and that's just the passing game. We're not even talking about the running game and how that's not terribly efficient. But it, it's not as if Jimmy Garoppolo is all of a sudden saying, like, yeah, we're going to make Zane Beatles functional. He's he's doing things in other ways that make the offense efficient. Right. I mean, there's a lot of magic to Jimmy G. Don't get us wrong, but it's it's not uh, necessarily a situation where, yeah, everybody is better. I mean, we've talked about maybe in little ways how you see, um, you know, maybe receivers aren't dropping quite as many passes, which I actually haven't looked to see if that's even even true. Um it but, just feels like they haven't. Right. Like, I, I haven't looked either at their drop rate like or at the number of drops per game since Jimmy Garoppolo took over. Yeah. But you've got Kyle Juszczyk who decided he wanted to, you know, 
take that Randy Moss comparison from Trent Taylor. Turns out that like all you need to get the offensive weapon involved is just to throw him, you know, contested passes up the sideline with two dudes draped all over him. And then you've got Trent Taylor, who, of course, makes a one arm grab on a slant. I mean, that's just pure grit. I mean, that's been there the whole time. Absolutely. He probably actually caught it with his hard hat. Yeah. He took his hard hat out onto the field. Like what? Caught the football with it, brought it in. But, you know, he's got such a high football IQ that he was able to sneak it away from the refs. (laughs) <laughs> coach's son that one that's right um it, it was I, I think yeah this in general though was like the most uh or the thing that i took away most from this game right was that you still saw a lot of the same flaws uh in many ways that we've seen throughout this season right you mentioned obviously the pass protection which was uh a big one um especially in with zane Beatles. i mean that's been better trent brown's been obviously really good uh and, and there's a, a pretty vast difference between the quality of pass protector that you have dropping from someone like him down to Zane Beatles. Um, so that, that hurt things in this game in particular, but it was the pressure. It was, um, you know, a run game that, again, we talk about the, the volume of runs being more game dependent, right? This wasn't a situation where early in the season, Shanahan was just deciding that he didn't want to run the ball. He, he couldn't run the ball a lot of the times because you're playing from behind and you're trying to catch up. Um, and they haven't been in those situations, right? The game's been close. They've been leading. And so you can rely on the run game a little bit more from a volume standpoint, but it's still, it's not like they're ripping off, you know, seven, eight yarders every time they hand the ball off. No, um, they had just over a hundred yards in this game, but they ran the ball 31 times in order to do that. So they averaged 3.3 yeah. yards per attempt. And one of those, what was the, the hide run there at the end of the first half that was what, 30 yards or yeah, something it was 30 like yards. that. Um, it was 30. And, and so you knock that one off and look at what they did on the other 30 runs. And you're, you're talking about less than three yards per attempt across 30 attempts, right? So, 73 yards on 30 attempts, basically. Not, not super great um nope. so yeah it, again it the run game it's nice because you can kind of chew up some clock and um you know help your defense out a little bit and keep them off the field so there there are positive elements just to having a high volume of runs but it's not like you can base your offense on that right they're not a team like the harbaugh early harbaugh team that you're you're gaining five six yards per carry so you can really rely on that so you've had some of these same flaws um but garoppolo's just kind of been able to do enough and and make enough good throws and and kind of fight through a lot of that stuff to make this offense competent. Carlos Hyde is just 18th in per play efficiency after week 14 and the adjusted line yards as measured by football outsiders, which kind of tries to to measure the effectiveness of the offensive line in the running game is basically unchanged. It went from 4.05 yards uh, to 4.04 yards per uh, per run. So everything else around Jimmy Garoppolo except for maybe his wide receivers helping him out a bit, has pretty much stayed the same. And yet the the offense is performing much better. I mean, you've got a quarterback now who's you know thrown just about at or more than 300 yards in, in two games. You've got two wins. You've got a more efficient offense across the board. And, and it really is just because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Like no, no one else has magically, you know, gotten their Madden card and like leveled up <laughs> five points in awareness or something. <laughs> right, right. Right. Like it's just Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and it is really what we're seeing is the effect that I wouldn't even say great quarterback play. I would no. say above average quarterback play is really doing to this team. Yeah, I think right now, um, you know, if you look at his his overall PFF grade currently, he's if he had enough snaps to qualify, he'd be about 14th um, right now in the season, which is a good, it's, it's like an 82-something grade, um, which is, you know, an above average uh, grade for a quarterback there. And, and it's it's that's what it is. It's a lot of just good throws, right? We still haven't seen, we've talked about, you know, I think a few times, uh, we haven't really seen a lot of the top-end throws, right? They're just the 
the kind of crazy wow throws um, that you see from some of your top end quarterbacks, like those haven't really been there. You get some that are kind of borderline here and there, but for the most part, it's just hitting the throws that are there, right? Making good throws when they're available. Um, and that was something that, that previous 49ers quarterbacks, you know, not only this season, but in previous seasons as well, like haven't been able to do consistently. There's too many plays that you leave on the field, you know, that where, where your scheme is kind of creating opportunities for your players, uh, and you're just not able to execute those. And that's a very frustrating thing as an offense. And so now you're in a situation where you have somebody that can consistently find those guys. Like if, if the defense leaves somebody unaccounted for and, and leaves somebody open, you can rely on him finding that person consistently and helping keep your offense on schedule. Uh, and that's been the biggest difference. Now, if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to make a play, it's generally going to be in the middle of the field. And that's the second thing that we think in this breakdown against the Houston Texans. Jimmy Garoppolo still was incredibly productive in the middle of the field. We thought that maybe the Texans would force him to go to the sidelines since they played a lot of cover one coming into this game. They played cover one on 41% of snaps entering the game. However, against the Niners, it was clear that they that their game plan was to not get beat deep. The Texans only played cover one on 26% of their snaps. That's the only time they've been below 30% all year. They gave the Niners a lot of two high looks, what we'll call middle of the field open or mofo, just because t <laughs> mofo. <laughs> uh, the, they were quarters on 23% of dropbacks, cover two on 17% of dropbacks, and two man on 9% of dropbacks. Uh, cover six is the last one where you've got kind of a hybrid between cover two and cover four, hence the six. Uh, and that's on 6% of dropbacks. So, I mean, that's a lot of middle of the field open looks. And and you would think that they would have done what they what they do well, but it was clear that they were affected more than likely by Marquise Goodwin's deep speed more than anything else. Right. And, and the reason that we kind of thought, you know, if you if you weren't um, if you didn't listen to last week's show or kind of wondering why cover one would make sense to run against a quarterback that likes to throw a lot to the middle of the field. And and it really puts a lot of help there in the middle. So, um, you know, cover one, you're playing man coverage pretty much across the board. But generally, you're going to have, uh, you know, your free safety playing deep in the middle. And then if you don't bring an extra rusher, you have an extra kind of a short intermediate defender, right, to kind of run under some of those routes and be able to help in the middle. So you have man coverage, which you're generally going to be playing inside leverage, you know, to take away those kind of inside breaking uh, throws most of the time on the outside. And then you have help for your interior players, right, both in the short, intermediate and deep. So it's really strong in the middle of the field. And it kind of forces quarterbacks to look outside, look outside the numbers, um, which are tougher to complete throws. You're low, completing a lower percentage out there. And so it seemed to be something we haven't seen Garoppolo really have to do that yet. Uh, and it made a lot of sense against a team that played a high percentage of cover one. They were like the second highest uh, in, in terms of cover one rate um, entering this game. And then they just kind of went away with it and went with these different, you know, two high looks. Um, and it seemed to kind of play into their hands a little bit, you know, in, in terms of Jimmy just being able to stick with a lot of that middle field stuff. Uh, and he found a lot of success on it. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a, a really true stick throw to the outside where you get maybe like a 12 to 15 yard out outside of that one throw to Marquise Goodwin against the Bears. Yeah, uh, where? I had a similar one in this game. Oh, like an actually almost identical throw, like the the kind of, uh, you know, the deep curl comeback route oh, right yeah. to the right hand side. It was the good one as well. Um, yeah, had one that that was very, very similar, was pressured, you know, had to kind of get it out, make sure it was on time. Um, and that's but those pretty throws, much it. Yeah. Those throws to, to Juice, the one on the sideline and the one on the it, kind of in the flat, 
those aren't really those kind of you got to gun them out there type of throws. They're, he's able to put a bit more touch on them, a bit more yeah. air under them. They're not those I've got to use my arm strength to get them out past the numbers and beat a defender type throws. Right. And, and again, that's not to say that he can't make them. He's got a plenty strong arm. We saw him throw a couple of you know 50-yard in-the-air balls this game. It's just whether or not he feels comfortable throwing out to those areas. I mean, if defenses are going to keep playing too high because they're afraid of the deep speed then yeah continue to eat in the middle of the field just do yeah. it take what they give you because you know you don't need to be hercules and put the team on your back at this point if if taking what the defense gives you nets you this kind of production keep doing it and they're finding whole i mean he right now on throws between the numbers um he's averaging over 10 yards per attempt it's like 10 and a half yards per attempt um and and so like obviously you can live with that clip like it's not like they're just having to dink and dunk their way right they're finding yeah. holes in the middle of the field giving guys opportunity to run after the catch a little bit and and able to get some bigger plays you know they're not the deep downfield plays to Goodwin or something like that but um it, it's still you know more than enough you're you're not just relying on dump offs to the backs in the short middle of the field or something like that that's that's getting all those throws there so. Um, yeah, they've been able to generate big enough plays and um, it, it it seems weird. I would not expect that to continue. I mean, you have to at some point kind of crowd the middle of the field a little bit and force him to because, you know, the the deep throws, it's a different kind of arm strength making the deep throw down the field where you're throwing it 60, 70 yards in the air even and having it's a, it's a velocity issue, right? Those throws outside the numbers, even though you're only throwing it technically at like a depth of 15, 18 yards or something like that. The diagonal adds quite the a diagonal bit. And, and the angle for the defender, like the velocity has to be there to, to get that throw. And so I think that's the thing that we're still waiting to see. And, and I'm just kind of surprised we haven't seen, uh, you know, and it's only two games. Obviously there's, there's plenty of time, but um, I, I feel like defenses at some point have to force him to try to do that. So the, the only negative I've seen and it's not a huge negative. And we said we were going to monitor it after game one. It's now game two. He did some of the same things. It is throw a little recklessly under pressure. So when you think of some of the reckless throws, some of them were completed. Others were not. You think of, of course, the throw to Lewis Murphy, which was in his first start, which everyone was like, oh, my God, it's so amazing. But really throwing off your back <laughs> foot into triple coverage in the middle of the field is not something that's going to end well a lot. Right. And then this game, of course, you've got the game, the throw across his body to the end zone in the middle of the field, which is usually not a good idea. The one of the passes that he completed to Marquise Goodwin on the Yankee concept was a little dubious because there was a defender that was sitting there. And for whatever reason, he went for the ball, didn't go for Goodwin. And, and I think that play goes to credit Goodwin and show his improvement over the course of the last few weeks and, and less so kind of Garoppolo making a great throw with his arm. But there, there is this tendency for Garoppolo to, as he's falling backwards, facing pressure, throw it in the middle into the intermediate area in the middle of the field. And sometimes he completes them. Sometimes they're kind of going to sail on him. And that's what happened with the interception of Trent Taylor. But is that something that concerns you enough such that you're going to continue to watch it? Or is it like, no, if he makes five of them and, you know, misses on two, then I'll take the five. Right. I, I think... Um, I mean, I think at this point, it's definitely still worth monitoring, right? I think right now we're still at the stage, uh, all of it's worth monitoring, right? We st- we'll st- we're still trying to figure out what exactly his, you know, strengths and weaknesses are that, that are sustainable, right? That are going to be consistent long-term things. I mean, obviously, we think we have a, a decent idea right now, but a lot of stuff changes, right? We've seen this with 
uh, Colin Kaepernick. I would I would say that after 10 games and going uh, to the Super Bowl, we felt we had a pretty good idea of what Colin Kaepernick could do well. And then that didn't really, you know, pan out over the long term. So you're think, telling me that uh, the Eagles shouldn't have paid Nick Foles uh, more than Carson Wentz. <laughs> but he had that one season. He had that one thing. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, a lot can change. Um, obviously, we're pretty optimistic about the way that things are going. And, and you know, we, I think, believe that he's going to be a very good quarterback. But uh, it's all worth monitoring. I think right now the throws that we're seeing um, th- that I, I guess the the way that I would look at that a little positively is they're questionable. They're not egregious, right? They're, they're, I don't think really any of the throws, I mean, the one Trent Taylor interception was about as close to that as we've gotten. And it was, you could see, you could tell that he rushed it a bit and um, it, the, the ball location just wasn't there. I mean, Clowney's like breathing down his neck. So it's, you know, you understand it a little bit. Um, but I think that's the one that's been kind of the worst, right? The other ones, I think, yeah, there are some questionable stuff in there, but you get that, right? Everybody's got some questionable stuff. And, and when you have a good quarterback and he's, somebody that believes in in his release and his ball location, I think, in those situations, right? Even though you have a guy kind of bearing down on you because you can get rid of the ball so quickly and because you generally put the ball where it needs to be. I mean, um, very few people, I actually think uh, so far right now, under pressure, nobody has thrown a higher percentage of catchable passes than him this season. If Again, it's all if, if he had enough to qualify right now, he doesn't um, have enough attempts to fit into the top 32, but... Right now, Brady, that's a category that Brady leads. Um, most catchable passes thrown under pressure. And if he had enough, he would be ahead of Brady right now. So he's still putting the ball where it needs to be more often than not. Um, and so I think that's going to be likely something that you live with, right? You're going to live with a few questionable things because you think he can make it. And, and you just hope that it doesn't become, uh, you know, like a, a Jay Cutler-esque uh, thing where it's egregious throws because he no. trusts it too much. Uh, he doesn't smoke cigarettes and he doesn't have Yorkies. So I think we're we're clear of the Jay Cutler comp. But to me, that's the most exciting thing about Jamie Garoppolo. I, I think this week is really where I settled in on the comparison of Tony Romo. And it's not just because they both went to Eastern Illinois. It, something I didn't learn until today, actually. Yeah, actually, uh, I forgot that that's where Romo went. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I, I did not know. And someone <laughs> reminded me when I tweeted out a link last night because he there's so many little things that he does that remind me of Romo where, you know, when he the throws movement. Yeah, when he throws the ball and kind of tucks that shoulder to avoid a hit, the reverse spin out of pressure, yeah. the fast release, all of that is just very Romo-esque. And if the 49ers end up getting a quarterback that performs as well as Romo has over the course of his career for a second-round yeah. pick, that is holy, like, that's just goddamn. Shit. That's all about it, man, especially when you pair that with a coach like Kyle Shanahan, right? Who yeah. Um, obviously it has an offense that puts his quarterback in position to succeed and, and I think is going to generally do a good job. There's something that we can rely on him to, um, you know, scheme up the offensive side of the ball. Well, so your quarterback isn't, uh, playing at a disadvantage like you would with like, say, I don't know, Jeff Fisher is your head coach. Um, so, so you're not going to be in, in those shoes, right? Your quarterback's going to have, um, you know, the, the structure around him to be able to succeed. And then you get a talent like that. Like, yeah, I mean, again, nobody is trying to compare him to, to Aaron Rodgers right now and say that he's going to be the best quarterback in the league. Well, that's not true. You've got one, be. you've got one reporter who's trying to compare him to Tom Brady. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Oh, also I forgot he was Joe Montana after one week. So, I mean, they're both Italian. Might be. Um, yeah. So, so I think beyond, uh, beyond those completely unreasonable people, um, yeah, nobody, I think is, is looking at this guy and thinking right now that he should be Aaron Rodgers, And, and I don't, I think that's unfair to him to put on that after, you know, we're basically three and a half games into his, his career, right? We had yeah. a game and a half last year before he got hurt. 
and then two games so far this year. So there's still a lot to learn about him, but uh, I think we're, we're obviously headed in a good direction. Absolutely. So the, on the offense, that's, I mean, it's going to be a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo because that's the biggest position. That's Hell the most yeah, important man. We position. haven't talked about a fun quarterback in, uh, what, like four years yeah. or something like that? We, we gravitate very much towards the quarterback talk, so you'll have to excuse us for spending so much time on the front end. But it, it was clear, at least on the other side of the ball, on defense, and this is the other thing that we think, that the 49ers were definitely concerned with DeAndre Hopkins from the get-go. I think the story coming out of the game was that Dante Johnson had some trouble. Um, I guess that would be an understatement. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that would, that would be the uh, the sugar-coated version. Uh, he had some trouble with DeAndre Hopkins, and then all of a sudden, Robert Sala pulls him, puts in Mabin. They start shading Adrian Colbert, and then all of a sudden, DeAndre Hopkins gets shut down. But it wasn't actually like that when you when you watch the All-22. From the get-go, they were shading safeties over. And from the get-go, the 49ers were doing things to try and limit Hopkins' explosiveness that we haven't really seen them do a lot of all year, uh, especially when it came to playing Leon Hall, how they play their hook defenders, and rotating safeties. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird um, to see some of the things that they were doing in coverage. And not weird in, in the sense that they shouldn't been doing them. It's just it was... Or something... weird that they're strange. These yeah. Are, these are things that teams do. Definitely. It's, it's just, just things that the Niners haven't really done this season. Exactly, exactly. So it was a little unusual for them. But we saw them, you know, if you start even with that base cover three that we know that they like to run tweaks from that base coverage where you're taking you know to hopkins side if i don't have another receiver there which the the texans like to do a lot right when you go three by one sets so you have three receivers to one side of the field a single receiver to the other side and they like to make that single receiver hopkins um, because a lot of times that can dictate single coverage and, and get him in some good spots and so what you do when you're in that situation is okay if they're planning on running cover three there they're going to take the curl defender which is usually like either the strong safety or kind of your outside linebacker and they're going to move him over closer to Hopkins so that either he can kind of cheat and help on any of those in-breaking routes that, that he might be running, uh, that the cornerback's not really going to be able to get there on. Or he can get, which we saw Eric Reed do this a couple times, um, get a little physical with him at the line of scrimmage, right? So you can have your cornerback still play over the top and still play that um, you know, deep third responsibility, but you have somebody that's bothering him at the line of scrimmage and trying to reroute him and and you know kind of throw the timing off there. So they were doing things like that. And then you see the stuff with quarters and in cover six. And, and what that's doing is again, when you get him in that single receiver side with quarters, you're basically able to double cover him with the other safety. So the safety at that point doesn't have any other responsibility to that side of the field generally. Um, and so he can look to that single receiver and, and help out on, on any in-breaking route. So you have that and then cover six gets a, a sort of high, low double team. So you have the corner, playing a little bit more underneath. So this was something that happened um, on one of his, like the, I, I, I want to say one of the, but he made several sideline. Uh, it awesome was some sideline catches. It was, the, it was the throw that was reviewed that was ruled incomplete initially on the go. field. But then they looked at it again and they were like, oh, DeAndre Hopkins is amazing. Let's give you the catch because <laughs> he actually caught the ball. He actually dragged both feet it was in succession. Dumb. It, it was it was it's just stupid Dumb. but yeah but this was one of those plays where the Niners actually had a cover six where they had a safety over the top and what looked like cover two but it was really just cover two to that side of the field yeah and the corner underneath and Dante Johnson just bit on the inside move yeah so so I mean the idea there right is you're getting you're able to again get physical with him at the line of scrimmage and, and bump him and then you have the cornerback be able to just play all the underneath stuff right I can eliminate the deep routes from uh, my concern, I have a safety over the top there. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So I don't have to worry about getting beat deep. 
I can just focus on any of those short intermediate breaking routes. And then you have, you know, of course, the safety on any deep stuff. And it was just like, you know, didn't play it very well. It was it wasn't a great play from Johnson. And and you make a, a hell of a catch on the sideline on a, a pretty good thrown ball. And, um, you know, you got to live with some of those. But it, it wasn't for lack of trying, right? They they were doing a lot of different things. They had Leon Hall even in straight like man coverage. Right well, that's what I was going to say one. is is the utilization of Leon Hall to me was the most interesting because it, there were some plays where the Niners looked like they had a a middle of the field open look where they were playing some of the cover six, they were playing some quarters coverage, but they started in that middle of the field open look or that mofo look and then rotated into a single high look, and Leon Hall. Basically, his responsibility was follow Hopkins yeah. like and bracket him side to side, basically. And and that's what he was able to do. And he did sometimes with some success, other times with you know less success. But the, even the way I mean, it was very, very clear that the game plan going into the game was completely around stopping DeAndre Hopkins. That did not start because Dante Johnson couldn't handle him one on one. That didn't start because we played cover three and then it was like, oh, crap, we're getting beat. Let's shade the safety. We were shading the safety. We were putting Leon Hall on him all over the place. We were playing cover six just to keep a safety over the top. We were redirecting him with hook defenders. We were doing all manner of different things <laughs> just to stop him. And this fool still ends up with a ridiculous stat line. I lost my daily fantasy league to my wife because of DeAndre Hopkins. I'm still bitter about this shit, all right? I put together a remarkable team. Oh, I, put, I, I mean, I Giovanni Bernard... I like I he was only 3100 bucks on DraftKings or whatever. I started him, Shady McCoy. I'm re- I'm really mad because it's her and me at the top of this league and whomever like it it's a lot. I I yeah, I'm annoyed. Maybe, <laughs> I'm annoyed. Are you sure? I don't I don't a little think bit. That we could tell. A little bit, especially um, cuz she's a Texans fan and she was I mean, like, you know, dude. I mean, don't get me wrong, we won the game but she won the money. Like mm. I don't know I don't know which is the best one there. It's tough. It's <laughs> tough, right? Fantasy that's that, that #fantasylife. is. Uh it was. To, I, I mean, I think really what it came down to is, is you know, Dante Johnson especially um, was just completely and totally outmatched by DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, and, and that, you know. And that happens. It's, it is what it is. Like, He's you not can't, the only corner in the NFL to be outmatched by DeAndre Hopkins. No, no, not. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's probably had. Uh, it, it, I mean, at this point, Jalen Ramsey is shutting everybody down and Hopkins is like one of the few guys to have some success against him. Like he's he does this against, you know, top end competition uh, when, when and he have, does it with Tom Savage throwing him the ball. Yeah, <laughs> like that's how good he is. It's not like he's uh, like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm Eric Decker and I'm going to do well as long as Peyton Manning's throwing me the ball. It's like, no. It doesn't matter who's throwing him the ball. He's just going to get it. Yeah. So I think this is one of those failures uh, that, you know, you, you don't really there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Right. It, it, when you're looking at this tape as a coach, like I, I think you feel pretty good about like you, you tried to throw a bunch of different looks at him. Right. It wasn't even the same. It wasn't like you were doubling him in the same way every time. Right. So that the the quarterback could get comfortable. I'm like, Oh no. Okay. I, I, I know where to go elsewhere. If, if this is the look that they're showing me, I mean, it was a lot of different type of things that they were doing um, to try to get multiple players uh, very aware of DeAndre Hopkins and what he was doing. Um, and it just didn't work, right? Sometimes, and we've seen this, you know, with with cornerback uh, quite a bit this year, you just you don't have the horses, man. You just don't have the players to be able to match up. And uh, you got to live with those ones. There's, no, there's nothing that you can really do about that. Yeah, there's not a hell of a lot you can do. Um, I was, I definitely don't think that this game and DeAndre Hopkins game was a failure, uh, was a Robert Sala failure. I don't think it was a yeah. schematic failure. They threw a lot of things 
at the at the the Texans and they still came away with a win and, and they were able to shut the team down basically the entire second half. Yeah. Which is what you want. And I think there's uh, there's also, you know, something to the idea of we're, we're going to, you know, we're still going to obviously try to take away that top guy and we're going to give him a lot of attention. But he was the only one that did anything. Right. And that was what we expected going into is like, look, yeah. We got to figure out something with DeAndre Hopkins because they don't have anyone else. And and you looked at their run game. The run game didn't do anything, really. Uh, in this one, nobody else from a receiving standpoint did anything to hurt him consistently. Yeah, I mean, Will Fuller had a couple of drops. Steven Anderson, who was basically the scratch tight end on DraftKings, was I, I keep going back to DraftKings because I'm still really upset about it. Uh, he 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 was the tight end that everyone was playing because they thought, oh, he's going to get a lot of targets, and yeah. he's going up against the Niners team that in the last few weeks has given up quite a bit to tight ends, and he did not do well, if anything at all. And so this was definitely, I think, a defensive performance that it was set up for the Niners to do well because of the pressure they were able to get on the quarterback because of the offensive line troubles. You know, when the Texans were able to complete passes, they were going to do it to DeAndre, to DeAndre Hopkins. But outside of that, it was diffi- It was tough sledding for them. Yeah, I, I mean, this was what we talked about going into it, right? This was a game where the expectation for our defensive line should be that they play very well. And I, and I thought that they, uh, again, did that really in both phases, getting getting pressure, um, limiting what they were able to do in the run game. I, I thought it was a, a good game there. And, and, you know, look, if the one thing that you give up is DeAndre Hopkins, you know, kind of wrecking your world for a few drives and, and you're otherwise able to hold up okay, like, you you, you can live with that. That's going to be fine. You're going to take the L. Yeah. yeah. Well, not in the game, just in the Hopkins, <laughs> in, in the nook. So first thing we think, Jimmy G is a tie that lifts all boats. Uh, a second thing is that Jimmy still definitely ate when it came to throwing passes in the middle of the field. The third thing is that the 49ers were concerned with DeAndre Hopkins from the get-go. This was not a mid-game adjustment. They specifically schemed to try and take him away all game. It just didn't work because DeAndre Hopkins is, well, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, the last thing is let's talk a little bit about the play that that basically kind of saved the game, and that was the Adrian Colbert fumble. This was a play that I thought was pretty awesome. Adrian Colbert you know, we were we're pretty we're not necessarily, you know, skeptics by default on on the on this podcast, but we are definitely going to we're going to take the wait and see approach more often than not. Yeah. And a lot of people were super high on the Adrian Colbert train. And he is. He's an exciting, fast player. We we sang his praises when he came in and he started for Jimmy Ward at free safety was injured. So we haven't seen a lot of tape, but now we get to see a bit more of him on film, get to see him against different types of competition and he still plays a really, really solid game. And the play where he forced the fumble, I thought, was was really interesting because it was a different, it was a cloud coverage. So same cover three, but the, the cloud coverage is going to basically rotate the responsibilities over and give you almost a cover two look on one side against the receiver so that you can kind of protect against that deep, but also get more of a cover two play uh, near with the cornerback where you can get get physical with them, but then also sink in, into that underneath area. Something the Niners did often against DeAndre Hopkins. So walk me through a little bit of what that kind of cloud coverage looks like and how Colbert was able to move up to uh, make that hit on on Hopkins, force the fumble, and maybe f- save the game. Yeah, it was uh, it was an awesome play. I mean, he's been able to kind of uh, you know pop up and and make some of those splash plays uh, quite a bit so far. And, and so when you're looking in this defense, right, cloud um, really just refers to you. So there there are different types of cover three, right? That that you have, and this is a little bit different from uh, a cover six look, right? Because on cover six, you're playing quarters to the other side, 
Whereas with cloud, you're just changing who your your flat player is, right? So in, in a normal kind of cover three that we've talked about it, that's um, typically uh, sky, which means that you have safety as your your um, force player and, and also as that kind of curl flat player. So this switches the responsibility. So now the safety becomes responsible for that uh, that deep third that the cornerback was originally. And then the corner is able to sit underneath and play that curl flat area and become the force player in the run game. And so that's what we see um, on this play. And so you have Colbert essentially is that safety that would typically have been playing, you know, kind of down as your your force guy, as your curl player. He's rotating over the top at the snap, and it just kind of ends up putting him in position to where he can see that screen coming. Uh, everything's kind of developing in front of him. And then the thing that he's really, really, really good at is is just moving downhill like with a fucking purpose man like that guy when he sees something uh he's moving it's a lot like reuben foster right we've talked about reuben foster in that way where it's just like once he diagnoses what's going on it's boom like fucking beeline to the ball i'm getting there as fast as i can um and and that's what we see from colbert a lot of the time then it was it was right there like him able to to get uh also the hat right on the ball like it was kind of in, in the perfect spot um, and it was a big play. I mean, he made a couple of, I think, really impressive plays in this game. But obviously, this one came at a key moment. Uh, getting a turnover was was really impressive. Yeah. So he oftentimes what at least when when I first came across this concept of like read and react, basically, sometimes you hear it referred to as click and close. At least that's what the yeah. scouting academy sure. was, where, you know, it, where the defender sees something, it clicks and then he closes on what it is that he sees. He closes on the ball and the defender or whatever. So his click and close is, is really, really good. And the speed and angles which he takes to the ball is impressive. We talked about that when he had his first start where he was the lone defender and he took a really good angle on an open field runner and was able to make the tackle. And he continues to show that skill over the course of games when he plays at that free safety spot, which is not an easy thing to do. It just yeah, isn't. I, I mean, there was another play. I mean, so obviously this one, considering the turnover, um, probably has to go down as the most impressive by default. But uh, another play from him in this game that was kind of a similar sort of thing in, in terms of him recognizing something and then being able to get there in a hurry and close, you know, a, a good amount of distance was was actually a play. Uh, I got I forget the, the time frame on it, but essentially it, he was making up for a bust from Eric Reed. So they were playing quarters coverage, which means that he was on one side of the field. He really shouldn't have any business getting to the other side of the field in that coverage more often than not. But Eric Reed gets a little preoccupied with something up in front of him. And there's a defender that runs free into the secondary off on the opposite side of the field. So Colbert, as he's looking at it, right, he's looking on his side. He looks at what his receiver does. And, and that guy kind of stops short. And so he's freed up a little bit and he sees this guy running just nobody even near him down the right side and is able to get over there and make it was a play where where um yates had to scramble out a little bit so he had a little bit of time to get there but it's we're talking opposite sideline that he gets over there and is able to get a hit on that receiver to prevent him from getting a catch on third down um and it was just i thought really impressive because he's you know one in a spot that he has really no business being you know you're never expecting him to make that type of play um, and then able to cover up for, you know, a teammate's mistake in a, in a kind of a key situation um, was just a really impressive play. So he's making a lot of those type of things. I think there's a real playmaking ability to his game that's a little bit different than somebody like Jimmy Ward, right? Jimmy Ward, that was something that we're always talking about that we 
missed a little bit, right? It's not a lot yeah. of big plays, but he's kind of always, he, he's reliable and, and consistently doing his job, right? He's doing what he is expected of him, um, which is, there's a lot of value to that as well. But uh, Colbert kind of, yeah, at least early on so far, has this kind of like extra playmaking ability that's something that's, that's really good with safeties. And he's got a nickname that he prefers now, the Punisher. That's, yeah, I'm that's, on board. He, that sounds he, good. Yeah, he, yep. he, he definitely went to that on Twitter. Uh, I'm on board. I love nicknames. I absolutely love nicknames. I don't think the nicknames nowadays are as cool as they once were. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Steel Curtain, the Purple People Eaters, you know, all like those. Those are great nicknames. Now we've got, you know, I don't know. I, I, there's literally the Punisher is the only one I can think of right now. That's, that's, <laughs> it's all we've got left. That's, that's is all, the Punisher. It's, it's all we have in this world. I just want great nicknames. That's all I want. Great that's nicknames. Fair. It's reasonable. Uh, but despite our love for Adrian Colbert, he is not the spotlight player this week. The spotlight player this week is going to be none other than the product of Texas. What? Mr. Marquise Goodwin. Marquise Goodwin has had a remarkable couple of weeks. He's had some phenomenal catches. He has shown some quality route running skills, and it's shown both in grading and in production. He's earned an overall pro football focus grade of 80 or higher in each of the last three games. He only did that once in the first 10 games. And that turnaround has, of course, not just been because of the deep ball, but it's also been because of his production in the intermediate area. Before the bye week, 10 games, he had 10 catches on 21 targets for 155 yards in that intermediate area. After the bye, we're talking about three games, he's had 10 catches on 12 targets for 172 yards. So he's done in three games in the intermediate area what took him a whole 10 games before the bye to do, and he's actually surpassed it in yeah. three games. And he's, I mean, he's shown excellent route running ability. He had this speed cut on an outside move towards the sideline that was just, it, he didn't slow down. He just, he didn't slow down at all. And did you hear that he's got Olympic sprinter speed? World class. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's up there. He's, he's a pretty fast guy. Uh, I mean, this was something that, that I didn't really know. I wasn't confident that Marquise Goodwin had in him, right? Like he, he just kind of seemed like before his, his pre 49ers career was deep threat. That's it, right? I'm going to run fast downfield. Sometimes I'm not even going to catch it when it gets thrown to me. Like that's, that's it, right? I'm a track guy playing football was kind of the reputation um, that I think that he had coming to San Francisco. And when you think of the first game, remember he had that deep pass that he dropped. Yeah, it hit him in the hands. Right, and and I, Dave one David Newman podcast host extraordinaire is like, see, I told you. <laughs> I was I gonna say, you. yeah, I was like, I very clearly remember saying like, yeah, I mean, so far he is what he, we expected him to be. Right, he is exactly what he was, uh, what he was before. Um, and, and so I think that's why these last three weeks. I mean, because he was still, I think, largely that pre buy right during those first ten games. Um, you know, especially when Pierre Garcon was still there, like. That was it. That was what he did. You couldn't really count on him to do a whole lot more other than he was going to run that deep post like a motherfucker and like they were going to throw it up to him a few times and hopefully it worked out a few. Uh, and that was and I mean, it did. his only touchdown yeah. this year is on the Yankee concept oh. on that deep post. Yeah. And and that's I mean, that's still um, something that that is a very great thing that he brings to the table. But I think now seeing in these last few weeks, a, a bit more of a complete game from him, right? Seeing him do more things in the intermediate and the short area, um, run like actual routes, right? Like the separation on the one that, that, that you mentioned, um, which was kind of a play that uh, was a rollout, right? And, and so it took a little bit for him to get there, but, you know, made a good catch along the sideline, um, but created a lot of separation in the route there. And so we're just seeing him do 
those different things and really produce in a way that we haven't seen him do that, you know, before these last few games in his career. And of course, we talked about how he is affecting defensive coverage and he is affecting defensive game plans because coming into the game, the Texans played a lot of cover one. But I can only imagine that they did not want to get beat deep. That was probably their edict going into this game is don't get beat deep. Don't give up the big play. And so they switched to more of a middle of the field open look. And all of a sudden, Jimmy G is like, OK, you're going to play right in my hands. And Jimmy G does Jimmy G things. So even when he is not catching the ball and even when he is not running routes, Marquise Goodwin is affecting the game. And that is why he is our spotlight player for this week. So that wraps up our coverage of the review of the Aparicio Bowl. The the Texans versus the Niners. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was really excited we won the game. I was. Uh, mostly because I get bragging rights over my wife. Really it's crazy, weird. man. Like, uh, two weeks. I, I can't remember, like, two weeks in a row where I'm, like, even thinking there's a chance that you could win games, yeah. you know? We, uh, we haven't had back-to-back wins on the road. Uh, well, back-to-back wins, full stop. Period. Let alone on the road since 2014. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's final year when 8-8 eight and eight wasn't good enough. Remember when that was the standard? Man. We're going to hang banners, <laughs> win Super Bowls. That's what we're going to do. So let's get to the rundown. <laughs> the, the stories midweek, the tidbits from the game, other little things that we think are important as we take you through the week and get to previewing the game against the Tennessee Titans. First up is going to be one Mr. Reuben Foster. He is officially ridiculous. He ranks fifth among linebackers in terms of overall grade for the season based on pro football focuses charting. His Run defense grade is near elite, 89.9, basically the only grade you can get without being elite, uh, which is 90. He ranks third among linebackers with an 11.5 run stop percentage. Since returning in week nine, he's finished four of five games with a grade of at least 80. His 22 total stops over that stretch are tied for the third most by a linebacker, and he's earned a positive grade on 21.7% of his run defense snaps this season. That's the best rate among all linebackers. And he's the only linebacker to be over double the league average of 10.5%. That's a lot of words to say he's pretty fucking awesome. Also pretty fucking awesome. I mean, we can't, I, I really can't tell you like how exciting it is, like how much better it is to talk about a quarterback that doesn't suck. Uh, it's, it's something, uh, that we haven't done a whole lot of like in the last several years. And, and so it's just really nice. So a couple more Jimmy Garoppolo things, uh, 627 passing yards so far through two weeks. That is the most by a 49ers quarterback in his first two starts since the merger since 1970. That's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> third Niners quarterback to win each of his first two road starts fourth active quarterback to win his first four starts, regardless of location. That's a little bit of a weird one. You're starting to mix locations and stuff, whatever. You're, you're getting real detailed there. Um, average of nine yards per attempt would lead the NFL again if he had thrown enough. Same thing, uh, you know, add a little PFF element there. Has the highest percentage of positively graded throws over the past two weeks. Um, he's doing, doing great things. Um, it's very exciting to watch him. Uh, and, and it's, it's just weird to be hopeful at that position again, Joe Staley silent, but deadly. He, he's now in the top 25 lineman based on pro football Focus's ranking. He's allowed 21 total quarterback pressures this year on his 469 snaps in pass protection. That's not a lot. And he hasn't allowed a single pressure since Jimmy Garoppolo took over his overall grade actually puts him just above Trent Williams of the Washington Redskins. 
And, and so that's pretty good company for Joe Staley to be in, despite the fact that he is likely in the twilight of his career. Sad. Sad. George Kittle, uh, tight end one. The bandwagon was strong. The bandwagon was strong early. Uh, has been now outsnapped by Garrett Selleck uh, in two straight games pretty significantly. So in this game, uh, 61 snaps for Selleck, only 20 for Kittle. Uh, Kittle's no longer on the injury report, right? Wasn't listed on the injury report going into last week. Um, so, it, you know, you would you would have to assume that he's been fully healthy. We know that he was banged up early on. You wonder how much that did play a role in, into this kind of switch happening. Um, I think right now, though, I mean, Selleck has been... Uh, he, he was a major deficiency as a pass protector in this game. And I think that's a situation you, you largely want to avoid though. If I had to pick a non injury related thing that, that would explain why we've seen a little bit more select than Kittle, it would probably be in the run blocking, you know, which is very surprising to say, considering what we saw from Kittle coming out of Iowa, which was, that was the thing that they did a lot, right? They ran the ball a ton um, and, and he was an excellent, was like one of the highest graded tight ends in terms of run blocking coming out of college, just really hasn't been very good in that facet this year. Whereas Selleck has kind of rebounded a bit. He was not very good last year. And I think he's been solid, right? It's, he's not a dominating run blocker by any stretch, but he's, he's generally okay. And, and, you know, doing enough to get the job done. And so, you know, you wonder now that the games have been a little bit more competitive and they're running the ball a little bit more often, if that's kind of the reason why, but definitely something to take note of. Garrett Selleck kind of taking command of that tight end one role right now. It's Selleck time. You can't have a thing like Selleck time, <laughs> Selleck time man. and not get snaps. That's just what it is. We'll make the rules. It's true. Do we want a return of Lord Fangio? No, we're not talking about the Star Wars movie that's going to be released this week. I will be there on Saturday. David's going to have seen it twice before I see it once. True story. Them's just facts. This we're talking about, of course, Vic Fangio likely going to be looking for a job at the end of this year because I think the Bears are going to likely install their Firefox browser, clean house, get rid of everyone. I love that. I love it. It's great. I love it. But he's likely going to be available after Chicago cleans house. The, the question, of course, has been, has been set out in 49er land is, is Vic Fangio going to come back to San Francisco? Of course, we know that Vic Fangio was one of the primary targets for defensive coordinator before we settled on Robert Sala. Robert Sala is effectively the third choice. He's the third option. Uh, first, I think, was Mike Vrabel. And then it may, he actually maybe fourth because it was Vrabel, Bradley, and then, right. yeah, and, and then right. eventually Fangio. And then it was like, oh, crap, it's kind of late in the process because Atlanta, you know, had to be good at football. And Let's take a linebackers coach. Exactly. So now the question is, does Fangio come back? Personally, while I do think, of course, it's appealing because of what Fangio did, I don't think it would be the right move. I think you disrupt continuity, which is important, especially when it comes to defense. I don't think Robert Sala's done a bad job, despite the fact that he loves to drop Earl Mitchell into coverage. I don't think that he's done a terrible job as a defensive coordinator. And I do think that he is someone who can grow into the role in San Francisco. And given the culture that we're trying to create, you've got a young, energetic, youthful culture. I think he fits that a bit more so than Fangio does. The only way I can see that working is if Fangio wants to take this kind of, you know, kind of lording over the defense senior assistant, assistant head coach kind of job where he's more of a consultant and not really the coordinator. But I don't think Fangio's going to need to take that. I think he might have a head coaching job or a defensive coordinator job that's at his disposal. So at the end of the day, I don't think it happens, even though that rumor is being floated uh, in 49er land. Definitely. One year, one year is too soon. Um, Sheldon Day had another pretty solid game, I think. You know, this is what game two for him. Um, 
had the third most snaps. Only DeForest Buckner and Solomon Thomas played more snaps along the defensive line than Sheldon Day did. He seems to be effectively the primary backup at both interior positions. So both at the nose tackle, which we typically see Earl Mitchell starting in, um, and also at the three technique, DeForest Buckner's position. So he's playing both of those spots and I think doing a pretty damn good job uh, in in both roles. And I think that kind of positional versatility uh, is is definitely a valuable trait to have, you know, especially with the defensive line that you're hoping you have, you know, seven, eight guys even that you can rotate there and keep guys fresh. And so when you have somebody that can kind of fill multiple spots there and, and do so uh, at a pretty solid level, I think the fact that you pick him up off the street, you know, in the middle of the season is a pretty good get at this point. I mean, I think it's his, it's his third game and then you get him off the street. They got him from Jacksonville. But he was off waivers. I mean, he was he was about to be on the street. Wa- waivers, I guess, is like I can't think of a good street analogy, but let's get to the draft pick update. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've now moved to fourth overall where the strength of schedule tiebreaker goes to the Colts. So basically, we need the Colts to win a game. Don't know if that's going to happen, but because... Didn't the Colts win a game over us? Doesn't it, isn't they, head-to-head the first tiebreaker? No, it's strength of schedule for draft. Oh, that's the first tiebreaker? Oh, for I thought draft. that was after head-to-head. No, for the draft, it is strength of schedule. It's a record right, and then. strength of schedule. Uh, for playoffs, it, I think it's like head-to-head or some shit. Yeah. But it, so we've now moved to fourth overall in the draft which, you know, not great when it comes to leverage plays for quarterbacks, but not terrible. Still top five. We ideally want the Colts to win a game. Our other picks, an update. We have the Saints' second rounder. That's probably going to be a bottom 10 pick in the second round based on the way the Saints are going. We have the Bears' third rounder. That's luckily going to be a top seven. Yay. Uh, And then we've got the Steelers' fourth rounder, also likely going to be a bottom 10 pick in the fourth round. So... Long story short, you want to root for the Colts. You want to root against the Saints. You want to root against the Bears. And you want to root against the Steelers. Yeah, all those things. All those things are great. Uh, DVOA update, last thing in the rundown this week. Uh, 27th overall still, so no change there. But we did see uh, a little bump defensively up to 28th from 30th. Uh, A slight drop, or no, excuse me, a slight bump offensively as well, going from 26th to 25th. Uh, special teams also seeing uh, just a one spot bump there going back up to 11th from 12th. No punt return touchdown this week. So I was going to say when Terry Cohen doesn't return something in your face, I guess that helps all, all great things. Yep. So let's get to the game preview because now we've got exotic smash mouth coming to Levi stadium. It's the Tennessee Titans coming to the sanitary stadium. That is Levi's for a a game that will be in the hot sun. It's probably going to be like 60 degrees and people are going to lose their mind. But it's going to be an interesting game. So the Titans are 8-5. and five. They occupy the fifth seed in an admittedly weak AFC, but they're still the fifth seed. They're a playoff kind of-ish bound team. But they've been outscored by 21 points on the year. And per pro football reference, the Titans really should have only won about 5.9 or 6 games so far this year. And that, of course, is because they've been outscored by 21 points. So they're kind of punching above their weight when it comes to wins at 8 wins. And this is a team that is not reeling per se, but the line is not really good on the Titans right now. The the atmosphere around them is not great. They're not like terrible, you know, they're, they're, they're not a bottom team, but they're not, you're not really confident they're good. They're either. the team they're that makes kinda... it into the playoffs because they won a division at nine and seven. 
Yeah, because they play in the AFC South. Yep. They're the AFC South division winner. Um, yeah, that's how it goes. I mean, I think so, you know, obviously we've spent a lot of time on, on Garoppolo, and so you got to start there with the preview, and, and it's do they... We, we don't have to start there. We just choose we to start there. We choose to start there. <laughs> we have to start there. We're contractually obligated by our contract that doesn't actually exist. Um, and, and I think you got to, again, you go back to the middle of the field and, and what he's done. Um this has been a problem spot for this Titans defense. So, I mean, I think this one, we don't have to necessarily spend a ton of time here, but this this looks to be a promising thing for Jimmy in this game because the Titans have struggled uh, to defend throws between the numbers. Their pass defense has been generally pretty good, um, but those middle-of-the-field throws have been a problem spot. They have the, fir- uh, the fifth-worst pass rating allowed on throws between the numbers this season. Um, there are 13 touchdowns allowed on, on those throws are the, tied for the most in the NFL. So that's been uh, kind of a problem area for them. And, and so obviously you would think with everything that we've talked about with uh, Jimmy and, and having a lot of success there seems to kind of play into their hands. So that'll certainly be uh, kind of a key thing to watch when the 49ers have the ball this week. But then along the interior, you've got Jarrell Casey and he's pretty good at football. He lines up all over the place, so you should see him not just in one spot. You should see him all over uh, the interior. He's the 10th highest-graded interior defender, and that's not just against the, the pass or against the run. He's really, really good against both the run and the pass. He's 10th in run-stop percentage, and he's 14th in pass-rushing productivity. Now, of course, you know, if you've been listening to us for any length of time, if you've got eyeballs, if you watch Niner games, you know that the interior of the offensive line is not exactly great. You know that Lakin Tomlinson's a liability. You know that Daniel Kilgore has a couple of issues, especially in the run game, uh, because we make the center just make a couple of tough blocks. He has it, nightmares about Corey Peters. And he does have nightmares against Corey Peters. The thing about Kilgore is that he is okay against competition that is just about on par or subpar. But when you give him really, really good interior defenders... He has real problems with them. And here comes Gerald Casey, a really, really good interior defender. And that might spell problems for the defensive interior or the offensive interior of the 49ers when you've got Tomlinson and Kilgore staring down the barrel of the Gerald Casey gun. Every week, it's it's which interior defender is going to just give us problems. Oh, every. I, and I feel like we've had a pretty strong run of players. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a few really good ones in the NFC West that you go against, you know, a few times a year, but even kind of the, the non-division schedule has had a lot of quality. And we still haven't faced Jacksonville yet. Yeah, that's not good. I don't want to think about that right now. Um, Marcus Mariota. So I think, you know, when you switch to the other side, Mariota has been kind of, he's, he's got some weird stuff statistically this year. So, I mean, you start off the, the one thing, the one area that he's been consistently very, very good at, and that's been when they use play action. Um, obviously, they like to run the ball, uh, you know, a good amount. And so play action off of that, he's been very successful, has the NFL's best passer rating when using play action this season. Um, the 49ers defensively have been right around league average, just a little bit better than average um, when you look at the passer rating allowed with play action. So they're, um, you know, been solid, but it, it kind of depends on on the week a little bit. Um, so you have that, that's going to be kind of the first big thing. If you're looking for an area where, okay, we got to make sure that we're focused on Mariota this week. The strange kind of thing comes into play where he's actually been better under pressure than he has when he's kept clean this year. So when he's kept clean, 
he has the second worst pass rating. Only Deshaun Kaiser has been worse, and that is a name that you don't really want to be tossed around with because Kaiser basically in every single stat this year is like the worst or the second worst. Like he's down there at the bottom and everything uh, right now. So only Kaiser's been worse when not pressured. But when he's been pressured, only Tom Brady's been better. Like we, we, and we've talked about Tom Brady, like made offhand comments about Brady's play under pressure, uh, for like the last few weeks, it seems like. Um, but the next guy on the list is Marcus Mariota right now. And his pass rating actually goes up ever so slightly when you go from not pressure to pressure, which, um, you know, typically the drop that you see there when you go from kept clean to pressured is around like 30 points in passer rating. So uh, that's kind of like the average mark. So to see somebody get actually better there uh, is is a very strange thing to see. But they have a very good offensive line, so he doesn't get pressured all that much. Um, He's been pressured on only like 27% of his dropbacks, which is the fourth lowest. So it's it's kind of the opposite of last week in a sense of we're going against a, a pretty good offensive line that generally is able to keep their quarterback clean and, and has been tough for defenses to get after. Um, but that actually might play into their hands a little bit because he's struggled against coverage, right? When he, when he has to sit there in the pocket, that's been when things kind of go poorly for him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this week. So Marcus Mariota is basically the grown-up version of Will from Stranger Things. He lives in the upside down. He lives in the upside down. Everything yeah. is backwards. He's better when he's under pressure very, very weird. than he is when he is not. That's a very, very yeah, odd thing. It's, it's just like, I mean, the the number of quarterbacks, I didn't go through everybody, but I mean, it's it's generally like maybe there's one or two and it's weird quarterbacks that haven't played a whole lot, you know, that happen to be have a better pass rating um, when they're under pressure compared to kept clean. So uh, not something that you see very frequently. Of course, prime example is that Marcus Mariota has only thrown six touchdowns from a clean pocket. He's been picked off 12 times from a clean pocket. He's one of four quarterbacks with a negative touchdown to interception ratio on clean pocket throws along with see if you can recognize the names brian hoyer cj bethard and deshaun kaiser it's not an illustrious list not not great that's not great company man the turnaround that we've had on this podcast in terms of evaluating quarterback play has been surreal real fun it's been surreal but let's get to Exotic Smash Mouth because, of course, that is the monkey of the Titans offense. And I guess you could say that at this point in the year, they are just mouth because there's nothing terribly <laughs> exotic little, about them. Little smashing. And there's not a lot of smashing. They're, just, they're not as good this year as they have been last year. Uh, now, they are one of the few teams that don't use zone runs over half the time. So the Exotic Smash Mouth comes from the fact that they are primarily a man and gap heavy scheme. of their runs are zone, and that's the second lowest in the NFL. So they're not going to run a lot of outside zone plays. They're not going to run a lot of inside zone plays. They're going to be one of those teams that's going to hit you with a lot of man and gap schemes. You're going to have to dust off those Jim Harbaugh eyeballs if you're watching Tennessee because it's going to look a lot like what the Niners did in the Jim Harbaugh years when it comes to the run game. Now, the 49ers run defense has played pretty well recently against the run and specifically against man and gap runs. They only allow three and a half yards per carry on man gap runs. And that's the seventh lowest in the NFL. Now this year, the Titans have not been as successful running the ball and their running backs have not been as good after contact. When you look at their drops from 2016 to 2017, they've basically dropped across the board. Their adjusted line yards have dropped them from fifth in the league in 2016 to 13th. 
and their adjusted sack rate, how well they're they're protecting the quarterback, still good, but there's still a significant drop. 15, well, 15th to 17th, but the two percentage points is, is a pretty good drop. When you look at the, the running backs, their yards before contact per attempt also dropped significantly from 2016 to 2017. So Murray and Henry are getting contacted sooner across the line than they have last year. All that to say that the Tennessee Titans offense is stalling. They're not nearly as effective on the ground. They're not able to keep Mariota as upright, and mostly because his sack rate's actually gone up. So he's not pressured a whole hell of a lot more, but he's getting sacked more frequently. So by and large, this is a game where you look on paper and you're like, okay, the Niners, especially playing a home game, can maybe stymie the Tennessee Titans offense because this is a team that actually defends well what Tennessee supposedly does well. And Tennessee isn't even doing that thing all that well this year. Yeah, I mean, really, we need to hope that they continue to ignore Derrick Henry. Like, Henry's actually been pretty good. And he has, uh, I think, right now, like the fourth highest yards after contact per attempt um, in the league. But he just, they don't give him the ball enough, right? There's, There's really no reason that he shouldn't have taken over the number one role, right? And get the, the, mo- the bulk of the carries there uh, in that backfield. But they seem intent on, you know, giving DeMarco Murray uh, the ball more often. And that's, you know, great for us because uh, he is, he has not been nearly uh, as effective kind of generating yards in general, especially after contact. Um, and so, yeah, I think when you look at, I mean, it's really Delaney Walker, obviously, you know, kind of homecoming for him. Um, he's the one guy that you're, you're really kind of worried about. I think they have receivers that, that are, they don't, they're not terrible. Right. But there, there's nobody that really scares you. There's no, yeah. there's no Deandre Hopkins, you know, in that receiving core by Rashard any Matthews and Corey Davis um, are of course their wide receivers. And Corey Davis is a darling of the, the draft Twitter. Everyone loves Corey Davis and he, everyone's expecting the breakout game for court for, for Corey Davis where he lines up. He's primarily going to be lined up against the Keller Witherspoon, which means that he's probably not going to do all that great. But then you've got Richard Matthews up against Dante Johnson, who is still the starter. He's still going to go out there. And again, I think Dante Johnson is going to have a bounce back game just because he's not going up against DeAndre Hopkins. When, when you look at Walker, though, he, he had a quote to this week where he was like, you know, I don't think Ruben Foster should be the one to cover me. I don't think it'll end well. And that's not exactly what he's paraphrasing because <laughs> um, he, nice. he was saying that that Ruben Foster was the guy that kind of jumped off the tape when they were looking at the Niners defense. Yeah. But that he doesn't think it's a good idea that Ruben Foster cover him. And I, I honestly, I mean, funny. Yeah, it's, it's funny and he may not be wrong, but sure. this, but this is again another area where the Niners are uniquely equipped to go up against someone like that because you do have Eric Reed. You do have the, the kind of safety that can match up well against tight ends. I mean, yeah. Eric Reed was able to hold his own against, you know, kind of bigger and, you know, uh, against the Jimmy Grahams of the world. Yeah. And and I, I think Delaney Walker is a very, very good tight end. But I do think that, again, the Niners are uniquely equipped to handle a tight end like Delaney Walker. It's going to be interesting how they play him. But I, I do think that this is a defense. You know, if matchups make fights, I think this is going to be an interesting fight. Definitely. I think that matchup, that individual matchup with him and Eric Reed, because Reed is is the guy that is going to handle the bulk of like the tight end coverage snaps. Right. There may be um, some snaps here and there where, where a linebacker gets matched up with him. But predominantly, like that's the guy. And and I think, yeah, that's a, a matchup that the 49ers have to feel you know, pretty good about. Right. It's not like a, you're going into this and it's like, OK, their best player is going up against somebody that we, you know, like a Dante Johnson, where we're not completely comfortable that that's going to even, 
you know, that we're even going to be able to contain him. Like this is something that Eric Reed has done very well. You know, that we talked about that being one of his strongest assets is his ability to kind of play coverage on some of these really good tight ends because, you know, he's big and physical enough to match up with them in that facet, but he's also got plenty of speed to be able to match up with them down the field as well. So, uh, that is going to be, I think the, probably the most interesting, um, one-on-one matchup in the passing game. So overall, this is a game where the Niners are actually favored, believe it or not. This is, yeah, they're favored by two points. They're getting a little bit of that home cooking, but they're still favored against the team that's currently seated in the playoffs. So what do you think happens? I don't know if my mind is like ready to handle three three in a row. I don't know if, uh, I mean, it seems to be a, I, I think, you know, you have, a defense that's pretty solid, right? They they don't have uh there there's not like a blinding weak spot there. They're you know, they they don't necessarily have I mean Darrell Casey's probably their best defender. Um they have a couple of other uh you know good players as well, but there's no like um level where you're like, okay, they're gonna just completely wipe us out here, right? This is gonna be ugly. Um and offensively, the yeah, they're not playing very well and you know there's there's nobody there that you're really terribly scared of. I think it's going to be close. You know, I, I don't think that, um, you know, either team manages to, to kind of pull ahead quite a bit. God, I think, um, you know what, whatever, let's go with the Niners win. We'll, we'll go ahead and predict the Niners win. Um, with, with it being a two point spread. I mean, I think you got to go cover there. Um, one point win is a, a pretty rare thing. I feel like, so yeah, you, you feel like you, you at least pull this out with a field goal. Yeah. You know, when, when I really sit down and think about it, I think to myself, okay, you're right. I think Gerald Case is their best player, even though they're free safety. Uh, Kevin Byard, Kevin Biard. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't make the naming rules. Uh, but he's he's yeah. really good. So you, you know, you wonder if the Niners are going to be able to get any of those and, deep shots. Yeah, I mean, and they and like Wesley Woodyard's a good player against the run, especially, and and their cornerbacks are like. Their cornerbacks are actually yeah, pretty, they're, solid, they're pretty right? decent. Like yeah. They're, yeah, they're again. That's what I mean. Like, there's not really a spot that you look at too much, and you're like okay, we should really be able to attack this level, right? Their yeah. linebackers are horrible. Let's like make sure that we go after them in the passing game or something like that. Or their D-line sucks. Let's yeah. make sure we run the ball a little bit more. Like, it feels like a decently matched game, all things considered. Uh, and yet, when I really sit down and think about it, these predictions mean literally jack shit. Literally, oh, the, only, the, only, the yeah. only thing about these predictions is just the fear of being wrong. And you know what? I'm throwing caution to the wind. It's going to be another win. I new predict- era, JG. It's a, that's exactly right. I predicted wins so far, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm this win. If if we win, this could propel me to 500 against the spread this year, which is hilariously terrible. But <laughs> but good. let's do it, man. Let's let's hitch our Why let's not? hitch our wagon to the win, and let's do it three in a row. Three in a row. Could you imagine? That's- no, I'm having a hard time remembering. Uh, I mean, did that even happen in 2014? Did we win three? In I I cannot remember. Um, I literally I'm cannot probably remember. Probably not. But it, I mean, either way, it's been uh, it's been a minute. Well, uh, as you look it up, I'm going to go ahead and remind everyone that this is more than likely the end of the show, unless we come up with some random story we want to tell you here near the end. But thanks again to all of you who have left reviews on iTunes. We actually made it into the what's hot area of iTunes for professional sports podcasts. So. Thank you all. Thank everyone who has left a review. If you haven't left a review, definitely do us a favor and leave one because it helps other people find the show. 
and it helps us get on those what's new, kind of what's hot things on iTunes. I don't know what Google's thing looks like because I haven't had um, an, anything but an iPhone since, yep. like, I don't know, the inception of iPhones. iPhones. Uh, so <laughs> I don't right. know what that looks like, but I imagine that if you leave us reviews there as well, algorithms will do algorithmy things and pick Google us up. Google those, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, we did win three in a row in 2014, just to kind of close that loop ah. a little bit. We did it twice, actually. Most of our wins came into three-game winning strike. Ah, well, look at that. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a return to 2014, but this time with the future and not an end. <laughs> so that does it this week. Uh, David, you're going to have seen Star Wars twice before I see it once. Within, like... I, I, not even like within 24 hours, like within like 15 hours. Yeah, yeah, correct. That's yeah. gonna be uh, you enjoy that. Going I'm, going late Thursday night, and then again Friday afternoon. The Friday afternoon one was like a late ad this week, just kind of popped up and was like, yeah, sure, I'll just do that. Yeah. So we'll, we will be a little Star Wars richer the next time you hear our voices, and uh, yeah, that about does it this week. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always, go Niners. I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.